Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Gary, and this is Beer Breakdown. It's a podcast by Hopped LA where we dig into the stories behind some of our favorite beers with the brewers that brew them. Today, I am joined by Adam Kestel, co-founder and brewer at Frogtown Brewery. Where is Frogtown Brewery, you might ask? It is a really cool neighborhood that's technically uh, the Elysian Valley right alongside Dodger Stadium, the 5 Freeway, Glendale, Atwater Village, right in that part of town. Uh, And it's a really cool community. These guys opened up shop just about five years ago. They're on the precipice of celebrating their five-year anniversary, and they're doing some really, really cool things. Uh, Today, we're talking about a beer that... On the surface, on the label, I would never have enjoyed. Uh, This is a milkshake-style IPA, a style that is just not my speed. Uh, But this one is a little bit different. So Painkiller is a tiki-style milkshake IPA. It's brewed with pineapple, toasted coconut, and Madagascar vanilla beans. And it's really unique, and it is a really cool beer. Um, I really have enjoyed this one over the past couple years, and as this beer has evolved, uh, it's just gotten better and better and better. So in this episode, we talk a lot about this beer, how it fits alongside the uh, kind of brewing philosophy and the offering over at Frogtown, how that's evolved, what that looks like today, um, and just yeah, how cool this beer really is and why we enjoy it so much. So... If you haven't been to Frogtown, if you haven't enjoyed their beers in a while, I highly recommend checking them out. They're about to celebrate their five-year anniversary. As I said, uh, it's a multi-day celebration, uh, October 13th to 17th. Every day is a different thing. Uh, We'll be promoting uh, their various events, and you can also check them out for all the details. Um, But as always... This episode pairs up best with the beer itself. So head over to Frogtown, pick up some of this painkiller. It's so good, and it's going to go so well with this episode. So pause the episode, go get the beer, and then come back to it. Your evening is set. You're going to really enjoy this tiki-style milkshake IPA. Uh, Shout out to Frogtown, five strong years. Lots of really cool tiki stuff going on. Lots of really cool taproom stuff going on. Um, Just a really interesting and unique beer program going on in that part of town. Uh, So check them out and enjoy this conversation with Adam Kestel of Frogtown Brewery. But first... A quick word from our sponsor. Hilo Liquor is the best bottle shop in L.A. County, hands down. Uh, They're about to be the best bottle shop in Southern California once they open up that Costa Mesa location. Uh, But I cannot speak highly enough of Hilo Liquor. They have a location in Culver City. They have a location in Long Beach. And they're bringing in some of the best beers you're going to see in Los Angeles a lot of great local stuff, a lot of stuff from some of the best breweries around Southern California, and then a ton of stuff from around the country and also internationally. Just it's insane the kind of beers they're getting. You're just going to have to go check them out yourself because by the time this comes out, the beers that they have right now will already be gone because they're in such high demand. Head over to Instagram. That's a great place to follow along at Hilo Beer. That's their beer Instagram. Uh, They're posting all the latest and greatest uh, collection that they have in stock. Uh, They also have a email newsletter that's going to keep you up to date on the latest and greatest. If you go to hilolicker.com and you can jump on the email list there. I love Hilo. Uh, They also have a tasting bar that's open in Long Beach right now. They do have one in Culver. It's not open just yet. Uh, But every Friday, they're doing some really cool curated flights uh, where you can taste through a very special selection of beers that we just highly recommend checking them out. Uh, they also bring in food trucks uh, throughout the week as well. So you you have your evening set. You got a tasting, you got some food, you bring some stuff to go, you keep the party going. Hilo has got you covered. Check out Hilo at Hilo Liquor, at Hilo Beer, HiloLiquor.com. 
do that and you'll be very happy you did. Adam, what's going on, brother? Good to see you. Hey, likewise. It's, uh, you know, I'm glad that we're able to at least connect through, uh, through digitally here. And, um, you know, it's, it's good seeing you, man. Yeah. I mean, I literally was just there, what, two days ago. So, I mean, I got the in the flesh experience and yeah. while, while that was amazing, I figured, you know, there was, it was too much of a distraction. I had to separate us and this is where we're going to get the full story behind everything that you're up to. So uh, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time. I know things are busy for you guys over there. So I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, Garrett. So uh, excited to, uh, to get into some of the fun things we're doing over here. Yeah. So, I mean, I always like to start this off where, like, if anyone listening doesn't know what Frogtown Brewery is, I mean, what's the rundown? When people ask you that, like, what's your, your, your response? Yeah, so we're, we're located along the L.A. River here in the Frogtown neighborhood of Los Angeles. It's technically called Elysian Valley. Uh, so we're right along the L.A. River, kind of where the two and the five intersect. Um, we've been, been here uh, going on you know, five years now, getting ready to celebrate our five-year anniversary. Nice. So I've been here a little bit longer than that with all the pre-stages, which was always a blast. Um, but yeah, so we're kind of where the two and the five intersect, really close to Dodger Stadium, um, and uh, that's where we're located at. The name, like I said, comes from the neighborhood. Um, being uh, Frogtown, we're close to that L.A. River, and so the frogs, the story is, is the frogs used to come out of the river and kind of invade this whole neighborhood, um, and that's where the, the nickname Frogtown came from. So, Oh, that's good to know, because, I mean, yeah. the name itself, like, for, like, if you didn't know that Frogtown was a neighborhood in Los Angeles, I'm sure when you're out at CBC and things like that, it's like, it's a very unique sounding name. It's really cool. And so yeah. I never knew the story. Yeah, we get all kinds of funny stuff. Like people are like, is this a Mark Twain? There's a Mark Twain book named Frogtown and like like there's a movie, How Comes a Frogtown? Like the movie, yeah, like that's that's Frogtown. Um so there's a there's a couple of different references to Frogtown. Um so it's always interesting when you're out traveling. Like we were just at C B C we got a lot of like random questions. We did Blueza Palooza a, a month or two back. Oh, and, sweet. and um you know, it's just funny. Like the people there are all asking about Mark Twain. I'm like, I've never heard this reference before, but that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a native Angelino, and I didn't really know Frogtown until probably around when you guys started. I was like, yeah. what is this place? Like, I understand Dodger Stadium and Atwater and Echo Park and all that kind of stuff around there. But uh, Frogtown, I wasn't familiar with. And ever since I heard about it and have kind of been following you guys, been understanding that this is like a really unique community in the LA area. Like I don't know anything else like it. Can you tell, talk a little bit about like what is Frogtown as a neighborhood and community? Yeah. So it's definitely an old community. It was pretty isolated because it was this weird community built between a bunch of freeways. And so people kind of didn't know it was down here. Um, and so it's really was kind of isolated off. So yeah, like I said, technically it's called the Legion Valley. Frogtown is its nickname, um, but it's uh, a really, really cool community of people, and this area has changed drastically in, in the last, uh, you know, five to ten years, especially since we've been here. Um, there's so many new businesses and really cool things happening in the area. You know, every other year they do the Frogtown Art Walk, so it's a very artist-centric uh, area, so there's a lot of that that happens here. Um, there's some really cool businesses that have opened up over the years. Um, Wax Paper, which is a sandwich shop. Spoke Bicycle yeah. Cafe, which is really cool. Um, there's La Colombe Coffee Shop in the area. Um, we have Salazar, like right on the corner here, which is one of our, our first uh, one of our first draft accounts, Salazar, and we're still pouring strong there. Um, so it's just really cool to be, uh, you know, a part of this neighborhood and see all these businesses being super successful. Um, just what I needed, which is a, a vegan bakery, uh, is here too. And like those guys are doing some killer stuff. We're going to be partnering with them on some on some things for the anniversary party. Um, so it's it's really cool, really cool to be part of the neighborhood here. 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's always super unique when I go out there. The uh, L.A. River like walkway, bikeway is just like a really unique. I mean, it's just yeah, it's a very signature L.A. place to be. And yeah, being able to like jump off the walk and head to Spoke and head to Frogtown and head to Wax Paper, like it's uh, I think it's kind of under the radar a little bit in terms of, you know, people knowing about it. And I think it's just like a hidden gem, a uh, great, like afternoon type of activity. Um, so you guys are, you know, mentioned five year anniversary. So let's rewind a little bit. Like let's go back five years. Yeah. Uh, 2016. Obviously you guys were in planning before then, but what, w- what was Frogtown the neighborhood like? Like, why did you choose it? Uh, how did you get there? Yeah. So, um, yeah, five, six years ago is when we, we opened up here. Yeah. Six years ago, I guess when we started the whole process, we were looking all over the place. We originally, uh, we're going to do a brewery in Silver Lake. Um, mm. and it turns out that the city doesn't like that very much because, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the type of building and zoning you need to be in for breweries is, is really heavily, heavy manufacturing or, or at least medium to light manufacturing. Um, and so we were like quickly found that out. And so we like nixed our shirt, our search of Silver Lake. Cause there's not a lot of spaces there, uh, at the time that would allow for a brewery, you know, ceiling height for tanks and things like that. The infrastructure just wasn't there. So we searched for like six to nine months for a location and we kept coming back to Frogtown and, um, we were seeing different buildings here and it just was a really cool, area of the city uh kind of like an untapped area it was pretty quiet over here at that time as far as like the other businesses that were here um our street was super quiet and and sleepy except for a couple of towing companies that were here so um but there was a lot of warehouses and like heavy manufacturing so this whole area was built in like the 40s and 50s uh as like an aerospace to like support war efforts and and all of the aerospace stuff that was going on so most of the buildings around this area are big manufacturing buildings that had huge machines in there um still to this day our neighbor does does this is where they build parts for for airplanes um and so it was kind of a cool little area um and so that's that's kind of where we settled on in this area and we're like it's cool space thing and um the, the whole aerospace thing, like let's do the steampunk vibe uh, at, at the brewery and play into that because it's kind of the history of this location. So um, that's we kind of went full in for that that side of it. Nice. And uh, your co-founder, Mike, and you, um, what were you guys doing before you decided like, hey, we're going all in on creating this brewery? Like what, what's your background look like? Yeah, for sure. So there's actually like three three of us main owners uh, at Frogtown. So it's myself, oh, cool. uh, Mike Voss, and then Gustavo Rojas as well uh, has become a partner. And he's a local Angelino, and so it's been really great having him as a partner in this as well as, as Mike because um, he's local and understands the neighborhood. Myself and Mike included are both originally from Chicago. So I was um, I was actually looking to open a brewery in Chicago. Oh, Mike no was way. living out here and. Mike and I used to work together uh, in Chicago at a hospital, and uh, Mike moved out here, and I was looking to possibly open up a brewery in Chicago. Uh, I was really heavy into the homebrew scene at that time, Um, you know, had a full, uh, you know, three-vessel, all-electric, 10-gallon brew set up in my garage, you know, semi-automated flow meters and all that stuff on this little homebrew setup, so it was a blast. Um, and so I was kind of going down that road and then, uh, I got a call to come out to California to work for a, a big hospital out here. Um, cause I was working in a hospital in Chicago and they kind of made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And, um, so I transplanted out to, to LA kind of out of nowhere. It, it all happened in a matter of, you know, three or four weeks. Um, wow. And so moved out here, sold off all my homebrewing equipment. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to brew in LA and have all this equipment with the limited space. So sold off my, all my homebrew equipment. And, uh, about uh, a month after I sold everything, uh, I was out here getting situated with LA and my buddy, Mike, uh, hit me up and he's like, Hey, friend of mine, uh, gave me these carboys. I want to make some beer. Like, can you show me the ropes? I was like, yeah, uh, you can't just make beer with some carboys though. We need some equipment. So, 
Um, <laughs> he's like, yeah, well, can you walk me through it? And like, I want to learn. And, and uh, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So we got some equipment, started homebrewing on his deck here in, in LA. He lives in Glasshell Park. And so we started brewing under this live oak tree on his deck. And uh, we were just having a blast at it. We started doing parties for our friends. Um, one thing led to another uh, with all these parties and people kept motivating us to do it. And I was like, yeah, well, I kind of had this start of a business plan in Chicago. And uh, he's like, well, let's let's expand on it. Let's do it. He's like, I'm in. So uh, we partnered up with Gustavo and he became one of our, our early investors in the business as well. And the three of us, just a lot of sweat equity and decided to do it. So, um, and then, you know, here we are, you know, five and a half years later. It's a beautiful story. I love it. Yeah. So you guys started out, from what I remember, there was a homebrew component to Frogtown Brewery in those early days. Like, what was that all about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, I think like many people who turn into professional brewing start as homebrewers, myself included, obviously. And uh, we really wanted to pay homage to that and, and open up a homebrew shop we were having you know there was a I think one maybe two homebrew shops here in LA there was like Eagle Rock Brew Supply I think and then there was one up in Northridge um, like the wine and cheese and brewing shop something like that mm-hmm. and so there wasn't a lot uh, of selection for us uh, here in LA like those places were great for what they were and um, so we're like well if we're going to do this brewery thing like you know let's let's try and you know respect the homebrewers too and and get this going. We knew it was going to take a long time to be permitted for uh, for a brewery. So I'm like, we have this space. It's going to take us nine to twelve months, whatever, to, to get the permits. Let's open up a homebrew shop up front. We can give away samples of our products. We can do some product testing. We can support the local homebrew community. We can have really fresh ingredients. Um, you know, because we'll be buying it in larger quantities, can split it up. And uh, so we did. We went for it and. Uh, it turned out it was really great. Like we had a lot of uh, a lot of really great uh, customers come through. Um, a lot of our regulars today were started as homebrew uh, customers of ours. Unfortunately, about a year and a half into that, uh, we had the brewery up and running, and we just quickly ran out of space for production in the back. And the homebrew side was still doing great. It's just uh, we really desperately needed the space. And so we're like, we need some office space. You know, I, I was working off a laptop at the, at the bar, you know, I was like, I need a place <laughs> to work and, uh, cre- you know, do all the recipe creation and things like that and ordering. So we had to uh, shut that down about a year and a half, two years in um, to make room for the brewery to grow. Um, but it was a really fun uh, component to the start of the business. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, if... Uh if that having that homebrew community, like tapping into that, um, if it, if you saw it play dividends and you mentioned like some of those early regulars were some of those homebrewers, like being able to like be a new brewery and just like open your door, like without a community, like without an introduction to the community, yeah. that's a hard thing to do. And so I don't know if it's just like super smart on your part or if it was just something that you guys stumbled into, but being able to like, um, to really build relationships in that homebrew community early on seems like a no brainer, you know? Yeah, it was, um, it was a really good decision for us. I think we, it, it allowed us to really meet our customers, become part of the neighborhood meet craft beer focused people um we one of the fun things we did uh, this is kind of a fun story and i always get excited about this is like we used to do a, a brew on premise uh course here so we started doing brew on premise where we kind of took the homebrew thing to the next level where we allowed people to come in buy the ingredients and then they would actually brew with uh with myself or mike here on site and do a five-gallon batch, get them into it, whether that was all grain or extract or whatever that was, um, for people who didn't have the space in L.A. to do it at home but wanted to, to learn homebrew and, and do something for themselves or a party or friends. So we did this brew-on-premise thing for a while here, and, and that was super popular. Um, but what I'm most proud of of that is, like, what came out of that. So three of the uh, three of the people that came for brew-on-premise classes um, – are now like professional brewing industry. So uh, oh, the wow. guys over at Lawless Brewery um, were, were one of our brew on premise uh, workshop huh. customers. 
um, a brewery out in Ohio. Um, the guys over there, like, they're super, super great. Uh, they, they started doing that, and then another uh, uh, female came in. She now works over Modern Times. So it's, like, really cool to see, like, wow, like, these people came in, they learned to brew for the first time, or, or some of them were experienced, and the guys lawless knew what they were doing, but um, they needed a space and, and, you know, needed the equipment and things like that to do some pilot stuff. And so it was just fun working with all these different people and seeing them become professionals in the industry. So, yeah, it's really, really inspiring. So um, just, like, a rough timeline on maybe like when you secured your location to like when you opened the homebrew to like when you opened the brewery, like what did that timeline look like? Yeah. So I think we got our location in 2014, uh, end of 2014, somewhere in there. Um, and then, or maybe early 2015, you're really challenging me here. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we started out the homebrew shop. We opened up probably, within a month or two of, of getting the lease signed over here and, and okay. um, we were starting all of our permitting process and then it took us about a year from the time we uh, opened the homebrew shop not 10, 10 months to a year until we had our first uh, actual brewery tasting room open experience for the public so uh, it was all in probably you know 12 to 16 months from the time we got the location until we were serving beer to the public um, and the the homebrew shop was open probably a month or two in to that. So yeah, not bad, not bad. Could yeah. be worse, right? No, yeah, it was fun. Man. <laughs> it was a blast. Still, um, is. So f- it still is. I mean, it still it still feels uh, great to walk into a crowded brewery space. So oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, so, so on that note, so for anyone that hasn't visited, we're painting pictures with words here. So kind of describe to me the Frogtown experience. Like, what's it like when you walk in? What's the aesthetic? What's the vibe like? Yeah. So, uh, it's changed. So people who've been here, people who haven't been here, uh, if you haven't been here in a while, it is much different than it used to be, you know, pre COVID. So COVID allowed us, uh, it had a lot of, uh, downsides to it, but it had some upsides too. Um, so it allowed us to uh, really take a step back and focus on uh, more of our design aesthetic inside, redoing some of that space, uh, changing the brewing space a little bit as well. So when you come into Frogtown Brewery, we've got uh, about a 5,000 square foot uh, production space um, with our with our tasting room inside. And so it's a nice, like, dark, steampunk, uh, really cool vibe of a brewery. We have an airship above our tap. Uh, above our taps and our bar top is completely made out of uh, hand hammered copper Um, so it's a really really cool bar top and then during COVID we were lucky enough to get the space right next to the brewery and converted that into a dedicated 5,000 square foot outdoor beer garden so we've got seating for 150 people outside and uh, it's a beautiful space that we've created um, that's safe and inviting uh, to, to people especially during during these times so yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like Frogtown, the branding, like obviously if, for anyone watching this on video, there's the logo work uh, behind you. And it's got that very steampunk aesthetic. You got the frog component into it. And yeah, drinking inside, it's got this industrial vibe, but it's like industrial in a kind of like weirdly vintage modern way. Um it's yeah the the hammered copper um on the bar top just gives it like a really unique vibe um yeah and uh yeah hammered copper gas pipes you know uh we've got some really cool like uh you know up lighting that we turned out out of like gas pipes and copperized them and um we just wanted to create a whole customer experience when you come in here um not only through the beer but through the actual space itself we wanted you to feel that through and through and so we're always expanding that and making that better, but we really wanted it not to just be a, a warehouse space like so many breweries are. Yeah. And I think that from a, a thematic standpoint, um, I've seen plenty of breweries do the bare minimum, you know, and be like, this is our theme. And like what you guys have done 
feels really uh, well-intentioned in that it's not like over-the-top cheesy steampunk, like in-your-face forcing you to swallow it down, but it's like it's there. It's giving you like a different vibe to be within, and it transports you a little bit while still, you know, being comfortable and, and just relaxed and chill. So I think you did a really good job from a design standpoint inside. And then, um, you know, obviously you mentioned the beer and that's kind of a big piece of it. Um, you know, looking at the beer board today, there's a lot going on, you know, a lot of different styles. Um, there's a, I, I don't remember the number of different beers you had on tap the other day, but it was probably about 20, right? Yeah, we've got you right now. I think we have 14 or 15 on tap. Um, okay. You know, that's a little different than when we started. So, you know, yeah. if, if you were an early Frogtown customer, our, our menu was pretty conservative. We were focusing on really classic styles. Um, you know, we were, uh, pretty conservative with all of our brews because we're like we wanted to we were learning how to do this you know um, from yeah. the ground up like I don't come from a professional brewing background and so scaling these recipes up was uh, was a challenge for us and um, so we, we took it slowly you know and so uh, those first few batches while um, they were great um, they weren't like incredible batches of beer at the time and so we really have honed in our craft here at Frogtown and expanded the recipe. And, and so once we felt really comfortable that we could nail these classic styles, then we started, all right, now, now we're going wherever, like we're, let's do some fun stuff here at Frogtown. So we started doing some funky stuff. Uh, we started doing some sours here. We've gone into the, the pastry sours a little bit, um, the milkshake IPAs. Um, so we started doing some fun stuff um, and we've got a lot of really cool stuff coming down the pipe. Is there, uh, if someone was to ask you, like, what's your brewing philosophy or what's kind of your intention behind the beer program, is there anything you can give, like, any insight there? Yeah, I mean, my philosophy is always, like, you know, a lot of these newer startup breweries or some of them that I saw in the industry were, like, they were just starting off doing crazy, funky stuff. And, like, it's it's somewhat easy to, to make a beer that is all funky and crazy and fruited and blah, 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 because you can hide a lot of flavors and, and uh, missteps in the brewing process in those crazy beers. Like, you can make a double or triple IPA that has some flaws in it, and you're not going to taste those flaws. Um, so we're, we wanted to make sure that we could nail, like, the classic styles, um, you know, and do a, a killer Pilsner, do a killer Blondale, like some of these beers that are somewhat generic um you can't hide your crimes in those beers right so Mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that we can nail those beers before we started getting funky uh, and doing doing stuff outside of those bounds so that's kind of our philosophy uh is to make sure you're starting with a really good core uh and then and then be able to do some fun stuff so so from a core standpoint um i know there's there's some brands that you guys uh produce that I see more than others that I think have uh, a little bit more longevity in your history. So what is, what does the core kind of look like? I know core brands are kind of a weird thing right now in beer, but like, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So, I mean, our number one seller still to this day, uh, is, is our, our Blondale, our kinky Blondale. Um, that beer is, is picked up the most by our distributor. It's in the most accounts here in LA. Um, it's what we sell the most of in the tap room. Um, so that's really the biggest core beer that we have is our Blondale. And then we've done a couple other like things that are, are out in market um, and, and more at scale. Uh, our War on Sobriety, our double IPA, is a really good seller in the market. So we pushed that one out there quite a bit. We just rebranded all of the artwork for that can. So look forward to that here in the coming weeks. Um, nice. And then we did a session IPA, good or bad, uh, that it's a session. I mean... That's always interesting how the market takes a session IPA, um, but we called it a session. We stuck with it being a session, um, and uh, I think that's done really well for us. So uh, I know that is kind of one of those, like, some people love it, some people hate it kind of styles, um, right. but that is definitely a core for us. It's our feathered-in session IPA. It's Citroen Mosaic Hops, and uh, it's, a, it's a session that doesn't drink like a session, so four and a half percent but it's full body so 
uh, that that beer isn't doesn't taste watered down. Um, you know, it's it's easy drinking for uh, for being four point five percent. Doesn't taste water. You know, so yeah. I mean, I feel like at this point, session has the it's just like kind of a naming thing at this point. Like it's yeah. gotten a, a you know like brewed IPA. You know, it's like it's you can call we it whatever like, you want. You know. Yeah, we were like we were talking to our distributor, and they're like, "Well, what if you like this is great, but what if you called it a hoppy pale ale?" I was like, "We could, you know, we could change it to a hoppy pale ale uh, right. as a style." But I'm like, "I'm not, I'm not changing it. Like, let's, let's, we're gonna stick with this." Um, you know, the customers that are buying it love it, and um, I don't, I don't want to change it. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I hear you there, and you know, yeah. it's like you could buckle to like short-term trends like that or you can just like hold it down and like what is popular in beer or what is acceptable in beer changes like every single year and just write it out make make sure it's good and just focus on that and like let let the let time dictate the rest you know absolutely yeah yeah so if you come into frog town like you'll see some of the same beers that you saw three or four years ago on on the menu um you'll see a lot of new stuff. That's pretty cool. You know, we used to only have five or six beers on tap at any given time, but, uh, those cores are still here and we've got a, a really dedicated, uh, customer base that gets pretty upset if those cores are missing. So, yeah, I, I can imagine. I think that's, uh, the reason why I was, I thought there was like 20 beers on the board because I remember the days where the selection was a lot more limited and yeah. now it was like, wow. <laughs> you know, I was getting that feeling where I was like, uh, I kind of want to try that, 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 and then I just, it kept going. So, um, moving into like the specialty beers, the little bit crazy stuff. I know, um, we'll talk more about like some of the anniversary things, but specifically today's episode is about the painkiller, uh, tiki milkshake IPA. I'd love to dig into that, uh, beer specifically. And I'm just going to pull it out of the cooler real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me grab one too. One second here. Let me grab sure. One sure. We got a can here as well. Let's pop this open here. So the painkiller, what, what a fun beer. Yeah, like bring me bring me back to uh, before you even produced it, uh, and from what I can recall, this was a anniversary uh, two year anniversary release, right? This was yeah, good uh, good memory there. Uh, or and, one. <laughs> so, uh, um, so 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 yeah. what 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 was the mindset like? We're gonna do it, and at that point, this was 2018 milkshake yeah. IPA was in its infancy, especially here on the West Coast. So, yeah, if you can remember, like, what was the conversation like? What was the decision-making look like in getting to this beer? Yeah, I remember it uh, pretty fully. Like, it's, uh, we were, uh, I think I was out with uh, one of my business partner, Gustavo, um, at a random tiki bar or, or something. Um, and I, I was introduced to the painkiller you know, five or six years ago, uh, as a cocktail. And for those of you that don't know uh, the painkiller cocktail, it's not a true tiki, uh, the tiki, tiki people are, are very purists. Um, so the <laughs> painkiller isn't like a true original tiki, tiki cocktail, but, uh, it was definitely, it's definitely my favorite, uh, tiki inspired cocktail, if you will. Um, I don't want to offend anybody. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, a uh, um, you know, pineapple and coconut forward, uh, IP or um, cocktail, and so I was like, "Man, this this is like this is delicious! Like, I want to make these beers like a beer taste like this." And so, how can I do that? How can I make this like creamy uh, pineapple coconut? It's, you know, it's reminiscent of a, a pina colada, but a little more alcohol, um, much better rum. Um, so that was where it started, and I was like, "I wonder if I can do this, or how can I do this?" And so we had never done something like that at all at Frogtown. Uh, it was definitely going way out of our comfort zone. Um, and so we're like, all right, we're going to try this thing out and, and see how it does. And so we rushed to release it for our, our two-year anniversary party. And it was the, like the talk of the festival. Uh, everyone's like, I've never tasted a beer like this. And um, we were all blown away by it. And like we have to to make this a regular thing 
Yeah, I don't I don't remember when the first time I had it was. It was definitely uh, a little while after that. So what what did what did it look like in terms of okay, you made a batch for the anniversary. I'm assuming it was a relatively small batch, but like how did it pick up steam after that? You're like, okay, we need to keep working on this. Um, I'm sure the recipe evolved a little bit as you either scaled it up or kind of figured out what did you want it to stabilize on from a recipe ingredient standpoint. Yeah. So what did that look like? So we've done, um, we, we try and keep our, our recipes pretty true to what they originally were. Um, nice. We're not 100% purists in that game, but um, we have definitely tweaked the painkiller recipe a little bit. Uh, the, the, the main uh, malt bill of the, the beer hasn't changed much. Uh, if at all, since its original conception. And it's basically a 50-50 split of, uh, for the base malts, our, our two-row and golden promise. And so we've kept that pretty much the same going forward. Uh, obviously, we've got some flaked oats in there, flaked wheat in there uh, that we're using as well. And um, a little bit of Munich for color. So that, that base uh, of the beer has pretty much stayed the same. What we have experimented on is is kind of everything else a little bit. So the biggest thing that we've experimented on is definitely yeast selection in the beer. Yeast has changed over over the last four years. Um, so we've we've kind of tried a little bit of everything in this beer, from the London Ales to the hazy IPA strains to the Kvike strains. Um, so we have changed that a little bit. We changed the fruit a little bit just by upping it. A lot of those fruit flavors, you know, as they ferment out over time, you start to lose some of those flavors, especially with, like, the pineapple. It can start to die off over time, and we don't use any extracts in this beer. It's all real fruit, real coconut, uh, real Madagascar vanilla bean, which is crazy expensive. Yeah. Um, so we use 100%. Everything in that beer is, is uh, made with, with all real, real ingredients, uh, no extracts. And so... We're like, well, we need to up the, up the fruit content a little bit if we want some of these flavors to stay through the fermentation cycle. We need to play with some of our yeast strains to see what yeast strains highlight these fruity flavors that we want out of this beer. And so those are the things that we've been experimenting with over the years on this. And we've settled on, for the last uh, eight to ten batches, something like that, we switched over to using Kvike as our main yeast strain for this beer which is an interesting selection, um, but we really like the way that the, um, the yeast treats the fruit and the way that it preserves some of those tropical flavors. Um, and, and to be honest, it's super fast. So it ferments yeah. really fast <laughs> and uh, we fermented at 88 degrees, which is just insane. Uh, that blew my mind when we started fermenting beers above 80 degrees. Um, so yeah, it, it finishes out and you know, one week, it's almost ready to go. Uh, we, we let it, um, sit and, uh, mellow out for a few days before we release it. But, um, those are really kind of the big things that, sorry, I've been blabbering on about this beer a little bit too much, but, uh, no, 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 this is what we want to hear. So, yeah, we've kind of changed with it over the years. Yeah. It's super interesting. I mean, I'm I'm not a milkshake IPA guy. Um, I don't drink a lot of them, so I don't know. But if you would have told me you you ferment out your milkshake IPA with Kvike, I I would have been surprised. So I'm like, yeah. that's but but it makes sense though from like a tropical um, aromatic flavor component. Like it makes a lot of sense, and uh, from a business standpoint, balancing production time and ingredient costs like that is a really nice uh efficiency move i think when it comes to getting this beer into package more frequently throughout the year um yeah that's that's really interesting i i I mean i think milkshake ipa you think like the the yeast strains that produce that i think more of that kind of like classic new england style uh, yeah, haze, London, London and you don't, I mean, that was yeah. our go-to. Was like London 3 was our go-to yeast strain for right. a long time here. Um, that worked out really, really well. We tried, uh, um, Yeast came out, or White Labs, I think it was, came out with a London Fog strain that we tried for a little bit too, and that was interesting. Um, but yeah, we, we ended up selling on Kvike. Uh, it may not stick around forever. Um, I think some of those London strains 
we sell through this beer really quick uh, when, yeah. we, when we produce it. And so um, it's nice, to obviously, like you said, on the production side to, to kind of get this going quicker. The one thing that uh, those London strains, I think there is a benefit to is that longevity uh, on those strains with the flavors um, is a little bit better on like the London mm-hmm. strains um, that we've seen. So we, I see Kvike, the Kvike, when we use Kvike in this beer, the flavors are, are really great, and it gets it's strong fermenting. We don't filter any of our beers, and so Kvike is such an intense strain. We, we see some of those fruit flavors. They're stronger in the beginning, but when we product, when we date test these, like at that like 60-day mark, we start to see that kind of really start to drop off. Um, and that's probably due to, and that's even in cold storage. So if it's warm storage, it might be dying off at like 45 days. So, you know, we... Uh, I saw with London Ale um, that would last a little bit longer um, but we were selling through it so fast and um, the customer I hope is drinking it fast uh, yeah <laughs> we, we decided to go with it with the bike side uh, so I guess yeah, as of recent <laughs> yeah <laughs> do not don't sit, sit on this beer at all yeah. um, so at, at least recently like how frequently are you guys uh, producing this beer um, not as frequently as the customer wants. Uh, so, we, you know, we're limited on fermentation space right now. We're currently at like 100 barrels of fermentation space and hopefully next week upping that to 160 barrels. We've been really, really waiting on, on a couple of 30-barrel tanks to get in, um, you know, taking too long with all the delays. So we're going to be producing it more frequently coming out um, after we get those tanks, but uh, right now we're we're probably putting it out once a month um, as a new release and you know we it's in the tap room for you know two weeks or so three weeks before it sells out so um, we try and keep it coming back on a frequent basis but that's pretty frequent yeah 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 I that's actually way more than I thought you were gonna say I was thinking like eight times a year or something so we're looking at uh, yeah, way we're more frequent doing than it every like four or five weeks something like that yeah yeah Cool. That's awesome. So I'm uh, salivating. I can't wait to try it. I haven't drank this beer in over a year. Um, But before I crack it open, I want to uh, look at the can and the package. Um, You guys have gone through a pretty major evolution from like your core branding. Um, You mentioned some of that over the past year or so. Um, This beer in particular stands out on the shelf. It stands out from the rest of your brands. Uh, talk to me about the design, about what you're, you know, is this going to have a refresh or is this like what we can yeah. expect to see? This, this, this beer, um, was the first Tiki series beer that we produced. Um, and, uh, the design was done by a local here, uh, in the neighborhood of Frogtown, which is really, really great, um, for the original design. We refreshed our, some of our branding as far as our logo and the, the type of face for for our fonts it's now a custom typeface so we refreshed this can slightly about six months ago um with with kind of our new logo and our new branding going forward this beer is slated to have kind of a new uh uh, a full new wrap done on the whole can so the can art will likely be changing uh sometime in the future it's it's on the schedule to to be done um we've been really uh excited about working with uh, our new designer, Patrick um, Moss, who's a really, really great illustrator. He's done the uh, other, the two latest beers in our, our Tiki series, Missionary's Downfall, and the yet-to-be-released Spin Drift uh, for the anniversary party um, that we're really, really excited about, the, the new labels on those. And we went all in on the Tiki theme and really upped the, the Andy, if you will, on, on our, our can art for those beers. And so we do want to refresh this at some point. Cool. Uh, but what's on here now, if you look at the top banding and the bottom banding on this, this is done by a really great artist named Michael Eulencott. Uh He is a, a really uh, big guy in the tiki world, and he does a lot of really cool tiki fabrics. And so the top banding and the bottom banding are, are actually his designs that we were fortunate enough to be able to use on this can. Um, and just super excited about that. And uh, you know, I still love this original can, but um, we want to kind of make it match all of our new, new new branding. Yeah, I love this design too. It's like super simplistic. It gives you exactly what you need with that 
tiki, more subtle tiki on that banding. Um, but yeah, just knowing what you've done with the last tiki release, it's an experience. Like the entire can kind of transports you into a different mindset to drink the beer. And so um, I can only imagine that uh, what, where you guys are going to take things for this beer. So It'll I'm be excited fun. to see that. Yeah. We've been putting really cool like stories on our, our new can art too. So like we've been coming up with um, really neat stories. Mike uh, Voss, the other owner has been doing a lot of our little story writing um, on these new cans. And so trying to really like, you look at the can, you read the story. We want you to feel like you're, you're really getting into an experience with the beer. I love that kind of stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah keep it up. So I, I mean, painkiller, it's time. I'm going to open this Let's up. Do it. I can't wait. Yes. Let's do it. Talk so much about it. I can't wait to try it. Just like I remember from an appearance standpoint, like from a consistency on the visual aspect, I mean, this is like just like it was a couple years back when I poured it, yeah. or maybe last year um, yeah. during COVID. I think I, I got, I picked up in the early days of COVID. So, yeah, really nice. Um, yeah, from an aroma standpoint, um, I mean, I think that we can just assume looking at this is a tiki style with pineapple, with toasted coconut, uh, with Madagascar vanilla. Um, but maybe walk me through the nose a little bit. Um, what what do you want to achieve? Experience through and through, uh, on this beer. Um, we've stuck with the original, the three original hops for this beer. There's some new ones that might fit better, but we decided not to change it. Um, and so the original three hops that uh, we use for our dry hopping on this beer are Amarillo, uh, Eldorado, and Big Secret. And so each of those bring their own tropical component to this. So you get a lot of that tropical citrus notes from the Amarillo and the Eldorado, uh, almost like a candy-like flavor from the Eldorado. And then um, the Big Secret kind of brings in that pineapple flavor and smell to you. Um, again, using real fruit, uh, real Madagascar vanilla bean, you start to get that. The coconut, uh, we used to toast that in-house batch by batch. We've luckily found a nice source of toasted coconut now, so we don't have to, to toast those ourselves anymore. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a long day of toasting 50-plus pounds of coconut. Um, I'm sure. But, yeah, you get on the nose, I just get all of that pineapple and coconut flavor coming right out of the beer. Um, really tropical sense is what I, I get out of this. Like just, you know, smells like an Island. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. And what's really nice about this, um, I think it's not as, um, like sweet on the nose than you would anticipate when you, I think anytime you're seeing milkshake IPA on a can, you're kind of like, all right, what's this going to be like real candy ish. And, um, it's almost like you're smelling the pineapple through the actual like exterior of it. Like you're getting some of that like earthy, um, I don't even know what you call that husk or whatever the, the, the outside of the, the pineapple is. Pineapple. Yeah, yeah. Like you're smelling it through the husk. There's yeah. like a slight yeah. bit of earthiness to it. I think the toasting on the coconut, um, dials that down and really just kind of like, um, complements it with everything really well. Like it's not like, coconut and pineapple it's like all meshed together in a really nice way so pretty pretty cool stuff and yeah you get that citrus just rounding it out as well like orange peel for sure yeah really nice okay let's give it a, a try in there. yeah oh man that is so good <laughs> oh man um so this is tiki in a glass, right? Like yeah, this yeah. is exactly what you want to be experiencing right now. Um, wow. So good. It's juicy. It's activating the entire palate. Like my entire mouth has started salivating as a result of this. Um, I think balance, like you don't think of balance when you think of milkshake IPA, but what you've done yes. here is incredibly well balanced. I think that's a mismark for a lot of milkshake IPAs. Like people go crazy in the lactose and it's like, that's, we, we tried that. Uh, we tried going crazy in the lactose and it just is like, it coats your mouth too much. It's too sweet. Um, like I, if, you know, I want to know I'm drinking a tiki inspired beer. Um, and, and so we do keep those hop elements in there. It's a little bit hoppy. Like you can still taste those hops. We don't do a lot of the hops and the bittering side of this, but 
we kind of keep most of the hops in the in the obviously the aroma and flavor side. Um, but we wanted to make sure the hops played a, a, a characteristic in this beer too. So we try and keep the lactose down a little bit um, and let those fruit flavors and the hops come through a little more. Yeah, I think it's less creamy. It's not that it's not creamy, but it's less creamy than you would think this type of beer would be. Um, so it, I think it all depends on like what you're expectations are going into it me personally i don't want it to be overly thick and like chalky almost um and so what you've done here is like you've created body without making it chewy um so that's pretty cool it's like very juice reminiscent you know it's it's uh yeah fresh yeah squeeze, it's, it's really nice fresh yeah. squeeze kind of taste right fresh squeeze pineapple we really wanted to make that fruit forward because so many, you know, all, all of the tiki cocktails, the good ones at least, are, are all made with fresh juice. You know, they squeeze yeah. them fresh every day, and we wanted to, to mimic that in the beer. We wanted to, to really, you know, like like I said, me and Gustavo and Mike, we're all into the tiki world, especially Gustavo. Uh, he's he's a big tiki head, and uh, so um, we wanted to be authentic with the, the tiki series. Yeah, this is cool. Um, yeah, I really like where this beer has gone. Um, what, what's your thoughts on, like, I know Milkshake IPA isn't a style. And when you started making this beer, beer looked like the beer industry looked different. And now we have, like, this whole pastry movement in beer. Um, what do you, What's your feeling on, like, I'm producing a Milkshake IPA? Like, you know, like I was saying, certain people who want who are expecting pastry milkshake might be expecting something different than this. So, what is your thoughts on, on like this style and producing a beer in this style? Yeah, so kind of like you said, like we were one of the first, you know, at least here in LA to be kind of doing some of the milkshake style beers, um, and they have really expanded and they've gone pretty crazy. Um, yeah, you know, the lactose for me, like adding all that extra lactose and that sweetness to the beers is is a fun experiment but it's not for me those beers are like i'm gonna have one of those and it's fun and i'll talk about it but i'm not gonna sit down and have another one um so we wanted to keep the style true to like even though it's not a style uh, we wanted to keep it a drinkable beer uh, that you could have more than one uh so we we wanted to keep that dial back a little bit because like you said, those some of these milkshake IPAs that are out here now in the world, they're they're delicious in their own right, um, but sometimes they're just too much for me. So, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of brew the beer that I like to drink, and um, yeah. yeah, we just hope other people like it too. So, yeah, I think you know we touch on this with like the session IPA label, like. Is there a, uh, a future where, like, this beer isn't called Milkshake IPA? Like, where you're like, oh, I don't really... I think that this might not be the best name. Like, I'm not saying that you should. I'm just like... Yeah. There's a world where you could consider it, I think. Yeah, for sure. We could. Um, we might, you know, at some point change that. We're not super set on that, but, um, you know, it'll stick for now. Um, yeah. But, the, uh, but, like you said, like, the the style has changed pretty drastically uh, over over the years. So the beer <laughs> might not meet the customer's expectation of what the style is, but, you know, it's not really a style. So. Right, yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. Well, I think yeah. what's interesting, too, is, like, looking at this style and looking at the uh, fruit puree industry and how mm-hmm. that's evolved over the past two oh, and gosh, a half, yeah. three years. Like, yeah. like you, you mentioned you guys you know use real uh pineapple you're yeah. not going like heavy on this puree thing like that's you know where the pastry world is going is like heavy puree heavy lactose like yeah. massive mouthfeel body not even in puree um you know we use puree for a lot of stuff but uh, you know there's a lot of people who are who are using just extracts now like the extract right. game has gotten pretty insane that's what uh, i so, yeah that's uh, what i mean and right he's putting out some of these other like craft extract companies and I don't, I don't harp on anybody for doing that. Like some of these beers that are made with these fruit extracts taste great. And at the end of the day, if it's a beer that tastes better to you and to the consumer, you know, go for it. You know, if, if that's what, what you like and, um, 
what the consumer demands, like, I don't have any problem with that. So um, we just might not do it uh, or go full into that. But um, who, who knows? You know, we might experiment with yeah. it someday, too. So. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, leave the door open. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, it's like you produce this beer and you're not like, all right, we're going to do a bunch of milkshake IPAs. Like the tiki thing, like you mentioned, yeah. Gustavo being just authentically himself in, into the tiki world and you and Mike as a byproduct going along with that as well. Yeah. You re- released, uh, I think, two or three other tiki beers so far and you have another one coming up so what is tiki uh as a theme as a uh inspiration for you and Frogtown? What, what does that mean to you yeah i i just really like you know getting dragged along to all these crazy tiki bars and meeting the people who are into tiki they're a fun group of people you know and so they've all got a unique story and um we wanted to kind of appeal to them and partner with some of these really cool people in the industry to do these fun beers and do these collaborations that we've been so fortunate to do um, with with people in, in the cocktail world and so we've done a painkiller and then uh, our second release was a beer called Brown Magic which was a black IPA uh, based off a cocktail called um, uh, the Black Magic the beer was called Brown Magic um, and the third iteration was Missionary's Downfall, our collab with Dirty Dick. And that beer is still being produced here. We've done a few batches of that. And it's it's a, selling like crazy. It's a really, really fun beer for us. And then the next one uh, is going to be called Spindrift. And that beer, as of the recording of this, isn't announced to the public yet. But maybe when it's released, will be. Uh, we're going to release it for our anniversary party. And... Uh, it's going to be a beer based off uh, of a drink from Jeff Beach Von Berry called Spindrift. Um, and he is like the tiki god in, in the tiki world of cocktails. So he has a bar in New Orleans called Latitude 29. And we've been fortunate enough to uh, craft up a collaboration with him on this uh, this beer. And it's going to be a fruited sour uh, as, as our next tiki release. Uh, it's going to have a pretty heavy like passion fruit, orange, vanilla bean, uh, Mm. a little bit of lemon in there as well. So those are kind of the flavors to look forward to in this upcoming release uh, on uh, Wednesday of our our anniversary party. So um, keep an eye out for that one. We're going to probably announce it in the next uh, few days um, officially. Okay, cool. We've already teased it a little bit on our flyer, so it's going to be out there. Sweet. So uh, five years coming up um i mean let's just take a second to appreciate the milestone first and foremost congrats man it's been uh it's been a year and a half for sure um but yeah it's five years strong um what are your thoughts going uh going into that five-year mark and then looking forward any any feelings uh, about the future too yeah um well thank you so much for saying that it's 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 been a ride uh you know, we're, we're all hands-on people here at the brewery, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, we, we try and take on too much, usually, uh, and do it ourselves. So we're, we're at the size now where we're like, all right, we can start hiring people and having having professionals come in to do different things for the brewery and, uh, in all aspects of construction and uh, equipment and all that stuff. So we are fortunately in a, in a nice spot five years in to where... Um, you know, we've got a really good customer base. The product is selling really well. Um, we're expanding the beer program here. And so um, that's been uh, really, really a great experience. And it feels really nice to be at this stage. It's been a tiring five years, but uh, I am super, <laughs> super excited for the next five um, and all the things that we have on the roadmap. There's some really cool things that we, are in, that we have in the works for Frogtown. And uh, I can't wait to, to share it with the public. So some big, big news coming with that. So look forward to some really cool things coming up here. That's awesome. Uh, tell me about the anniversary. Uh, normally you guys do a big block party out front, but uh, you're switching it up this year. Like, what does it look like this year? Yeah, we, we used to do this big block party and, and we might bring it back again next year. It's just uh, where we close the street down and do a whole whole thing. 
So this year we're um, taking an approach where we're going to kind of spread it out a little bit, um, you know, because of COVID restrictions and the new restrictions that are being placed on us on October 7th for bars and breweries. Um, it kind of limits some of the things that we can and can't do. And so to make it a safe space for everyone, we decided to make it a, a, a long event instead of one big bang type of event. So we're going to do five days for five years. Uh, every single day of our anniversary party is going to be a new new beer release. We're doing live music and events on every single day. Um, I can walk you through the days if you want me to give you the quick rundown. But Give, give um, me a quick one. Yeah, give me a quick yeah, rundown. Yeah, for sure. So we're starting on be October 13th through the 17th, I believe, are the dates. So it's a Wednesday through a Sunday. So Wednesday, we're going to kick it off with this really great Tiki uh, collab release. We've got a Tiki band that's going to be playing live uh, at Frogtown. Um, so releasing that Spindrift beer on, on that Wednesday. Thursday, we're doing a uh, five-course uh, beer uh, and food pairing, um, teaming up with Just What I Needed here in L.A., Krugerman Pickles, um, and and probably say cheese or uh, uh, like it's a cheese shop. So we're doing some really cool cheese, food, pastries, pairings nice. with beer on, on that Thursday. Also releasing a new Sabro Hazy IPA that day. And then that brings us into Friday where we're going to be releasing, I know it's a late, but we're releasing our uh, Oktoberfest uh, beer. So we're, it's a Martin style. Uh, that we're going to have, and so we're going to celebrate with a big Oktoberfest event, sauerkraut, sausages, the whole thing, uh, pretzels. Uh, so that'll be a whole fun day of Oktoberfest events, and then, again, live music all day on Friday. And Saturday is kind of the big day for us, where we're releasing our anniversary release, which is our Prince George Imperial Porter. Uh, it's uh, aged in bourbon barrels uh, in... Um, uh, Madagascar vanilla bean. So we're going to be releasing that in bottles on Saturday, along with some new T-shirts. We just got these fresh ones in today. Nice. Uh, so super excited about those. So uh, all that will be dropping on Saturday, and then Sunday we're going to slow things down a little bit. Um, we're going to have more of a chill vibe. We're putting on our new hard seltzer that's Baja Blast inspired, um, <laughs> and you know doing micheladas and having some oldies and blues and. Uh, kind of a more chill vibe and slow down uh, on Sunday. So we're super, super stoked about the whole week, and um, we're excited to see all the people that come out for it. Yeah, it sounds rad. Um, congrats on that. That's amazing. Yeah. Sounds like a nice week. And it's it actually, I mean, while the block party thing is awesome too, this whole spreading out over multiple days with different vibes on each day, I, I kind of dig that. That's that's a, that's yeah, my speed for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I don't cool. know if it's more uh, work or less work for us, but it's uh, it's gonna be fun. <laughs> it's, right. I'll tell you what, you know, releasing five beers um, for us when when we only have five fermenters uh, has been a really ch- a big challenge on the production side. But um, oh, I'm sure we're gonna make that work. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was gonna ask you when we were talking about painkiller, uh, you and I were talking about one of your somewhat recent additions to the tap room the slushy machine oh, uh, yeah. have you ever done anything with with painkiller as a slushy we have um we've okay. done uh, we've tried a bunch of different beers so slushy machines you know love them or hate them i don't judge either way uh so they're 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 fun uh i'll admit i enjoy them uh every once in a while to have a beer slushy um the painkiller we we did that in the slushy machine and it turns out pretty good what was interesting about taking all of our beers and putting them in the slushy machine is they all kind of turn out a little different and i thought painkiller would be like the best one to do right off the bat and we tried it and while it is very very good it's interesting that this particular beer um when it gets really cold and uh, crystallizes there's so much hop, so many hops in this beer because it is a really hoppy beer deep down inside of it. It extracts a lot of the bitterness from those hops. So we kept getting hmm. this really bitter uh, bitterness from the beer uh, when we slushified it. And uh, we had to counteract that with a lot of, um, a lot of like coconut, you know, syrup and uh, trying to like make it a little bit sweeter. 
and that turns out really great. But the beer itself, when we were just doing the raw beer, it's like, ah, oh, like this, the hops are really taking over in this. It's really bitter. Um, yeah, you would think so that, that would it would go perfect. Out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So things don't always work out the way you think they will. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm kind of I'm somewhat of a purist when it comes to beer. Like, I'm not super into all the new school stuff that's emerging. Yeah. But the beer slushy, I'm okay with. I don't know why. Have you done it? Yeah, you've tried them. I haven't tried it, but like, I'm okay yeah. with it. It's it sounds yeah. good. It looks good. Like, uh, when we were talking the other day, I was like, I'm going to do an article on hopped LA on all the best beer slushies that you can yeah. get around. And, uh, I don't know if the, those guys at radiant in Anaheim, they do a beer soft serve. Um, yeah. oh, that's cool. I, yeah. I don't know what that's all about, I think, but uh, I'm into I think, it. Yeah. I think Kip at LA works was the first one. Uh, to do it, uh, you know, yeah. I, I tried some of his early on. And was like, oh man, this is really cool, you know. So, um, and he's he's been doing it for years. Like, yeah. So he was definitely a pioneer in the, the beer slushy world. So, props <laughs> to him. Uh, I'll have to give him a special shout out for sure. Yeah, you should for sure. He'll, he'll enjoy <laughs> that. He's proud of that slushy machine as he should be. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I think that kind of like. The slushy machine, I think, is a great bow to tie on, like, the story of Frogtown up to this point because, you know, walking through the space the other day, the big, huge patio, um, just all the different beers that you have on tap, the different styles that you're experimenting with. Uh, man, like you've just come so far. There's so much going on. Frogtown Brewery is so multifaceted. Um, and I'm really excited to see, like, what comes next for you guys and this beer in particular painkiller uh it looks like this right now you guys uh look out for it if you find it in your local shop it might be harder i say go straight to the source that's where i like to get my beer go straight to the brewery uh check out frogtown head out hit up their patio and uh pick up some painkiller if you haven't had it even if you had We've already talked about the evolution. It's as good as it's ever been right now. Um, super delicious beer. Um, thank you so much for breaking down the story behind it. I feel like I appreciate this beer even more than I did before. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's definitely, this one's got a special spot in my uh, in my heart. So I'm glad you glad you enjoy it. And yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, definitely. It's a... Uh, yeah, it's a special one for me, for sure. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for this, and congrats on five years. You guys are killing it. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Gary. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And that does it for this episode of Beer Breakdown. Thank you so much to Adam from Frogtown Brewery for joining and talking beer with me for about an hour. Uh, really enjoyed that painkiller. Cannot wait to crack the next one open. Uh, and for everybody else, hope you guys enjoyed. Head over to hoppedla.com slash subscribe. Join along. You're going to get episodes just like this one and so much more sent straight to your inbox. You'll be the first one to know about everything going on throughout the LA beer scene and beyond. Uh, and if you're feeling up to it, subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Leave a rating, leave a review. That stuff really helps us. Uh, but in the end, sign up for our email newsletter. That's where all the good stuff comes. So hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. Cheers. Cheers.